This week's comment, Trump Takes the Oath, by Amy Davidson, from the New Yorker magazine, January 30th, 2017. A couple of hours before Barack Obama became a former president, he was walking along the White House colonnade. A reporter called out to him, any final words for the American people? He had just two. Thank you, he said, without breaking his stride. Donald and Melania Trump were expected for coffee, and he had run out of time. There were no more speeches to deliver, no more warnings that he could issue. In language, deed, and demeanor, Obama had done his part to make the transfer of power an orderly one. It might have been reasonable for him to hope that, at least for the next few hours, the progression of inaugural rituals would provide some semblance of civic grace to what had been a notably unsettling time of transition in America. The causes included the talk of Russian hacking and the antic appointment to many of the most important cabinet posts of dubious executives, men and women who are tragically unfit, from ideological extremists to unschooled plutocrats. There was the matter, too, of financial conflicts and nepotism, an autonomic reflex of aspiring authoritarians. At a pre-inaugural black-tie dinner, Trump said to his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, "'If you can't produce peace in the Middle East, nobody can.'" When the Trumps arrived at the White House, Michelle Obama, wearing a dark red dress, hugged Melania in impeccable powder blue. Michelle, a practiced performer, smiled warmly. Still, then and later in the day, there were moments when her expression lost focus, as if she had finally exhausted her supply of forced cheer. The two women rode to the Capitol together. Their husbands were in a separate car, as were the incoming and outgoing vice presidents. Already seated on the Capitol steps were all of the living former presidents and first ladies except for George H.W. and Barbara Bush, who were too ill to travel. George W. Bush appeared to supply a stream of wisecracks. Jimmy Carter, who is 92, and his wife, Rosalind, had arrived the day before on a commercial flight on which he shook the hand of every passenger. When Bill and Hillary Clinton gamely walked down the steps to join them, someone could be heard to say, We're here for you. Hillary's presence was, by many measures, an act of civic courage. Once everyone was in place, the ceremony moved quickly. Justice Clarence Thomas administered the oath of office to Vice President Mike Pence. After an interlude of song from the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, John Roberts, the Chief Justice, swore in the new president and got the words right. He hadn't in 2009, the first time he swore in Obama. Melania, who had been holding Abraham Lincoln's Bible and one given to her husband when he was a child, sat down to listen to him speak. As he began his oration, she lifted an umbrella. It had started to rain. Trump's inaugural address was remarkable for its caustic bitterness, its metallic taste. He portrayed the United States as a forsaken nation, a landscape of American carnage, and himself as its sole redeemer. He opened by saying that the Obamas had been magnificent, by which he meant that they had been magnificent to him— then, having dispensed with this gesture of courtesy, he bore in, equating Obama with a deposed dictator. January twentieth, two 2017 would be remembered, Trump said, as the day the people became the rulers of this nation again.
He embraced the ceremonial aspects of the day, the honor being paid to his person, while scorning the possibilities for comedy and community that the occasion traditionally offers. Instead of affirming the continuity of democratic progress, he expressed his contempt for its non-Trumpian past. In the new president's brief oration, those who had come before him, all of Washington, were guilty not simply of an inability to enact good policies, but of corrupt bad will, even treachery, of refusing to safeguard the border, of protecting only themselves and forgetting the country's citizens. Their triumphs have not been your triumphs, he said. Trumpism, by contrast, would bring riches and greatness. He spoke of the need for unity with Americans who live with the crime and the gangs and the drugs, terms that he has often used to describe minority communities, but that in this case extended to those living among the tombstones.